we're just going to keep being different today. Um, that's just, it's a good day to be different, huh? If you're me, that's just the normal day. Um, we're going to talk through a couple things. So first of all, I want to talk baptism for a second. So we are doing baptism in a couple of weeks. And I want to say this, if there's anybody in here who needs to be baptized, please come and tell me right office at cleanridge.com. Talk to somebody else. Literally, I think if you talk to almost anyone, they could find a way to get it to, to someone to make sure that it happened. But if you need to be baptized, I would love for this to be a great time for, you, for us to celebrate what Christ has done. Baptism is a sign and a symbol of what Christ has done inwardly that we show outwardly to the church, right? So it's saying, I was dead and then Christ pulled me out of the grave, out of my death and sin into new life in him. So it's a symbol of what he's done in you. It's also a sign that points towards what Christ literally did, right? He physically died on the cross, was put into a tomb and stayed there for three days and then rose from the dead to conquer sin and death for us. Amen. Baptism is one of the most beautiful pictures that we get to have in worship. So if you've never been baptized, or if you get saved today, praise Jesus, then tell us and let us celebrate that with, uh, with baptism uh, in a couple of weeks. We'd love to do that with you. Next, I'd love to talk through this. So uh, there's a, a strange thing that we like to do sometimes. It's called praying. Anybody know what that is? Okay, good. Sometimes we even pray in a different way, right? Um, do you guys know there's postures of prayer and pro- postures of worship? So uh, throughout the word, we, we, we read about people who sing out and, and they're lifting their hands. So when you sing and sometimes you see people raise their hands up, it's because you're saying, I, I'm, I'm pointing to Christ. I'm in a posture of worship. Prayer sometimes requires another posture as well. Anybody ever had to literally get on your knees to pray? Sometimes it happens, right? Now, is it magical? Does that force God to do something else? No, it's about our own hearts, right? Sometimes even inside of church services, we come down as an act of symbolism for ourselves to help us and we pray at the front. That is not because prayers are just magically heard better up here, but it's because it does a couple of things. First of all, it puts us in a posture of prayer, bowing ourselves before God and trusting him. Second of all, it allows our church family a chance to come and say, I'm fighting this with you. Because sometimes those are about battles, right? That's my family. We're going through a a battle right now, a hard time, a difficult thing that we're praying with. And there's no way we have left to fight. I've tried. There's nothing else. And so what we have to do is trust Christ. Now he's walked us through amazing things. He's walked us through miracles. We, in fact, we were just sharing and it's, it's funny how quickly you forget to praise Christ about this, but you know, he's walked with us through uh, multiple times with Sully, just bringing healing that we were not, we were so terrified of. But I have to be reminded on a regular basis. Sometimes I need the reminder with my church family that Christ is still fighting with us. So if you've had questions, if you're like, what's going on there? Whenever we go up to pray, to pray if anybody does this, and I want you to, sometimes there's embarrassment too, because you can think, well, if I walk up front and pray, people are going to think something wrong with you. You're right, because there is. You're a human. There's lots of things wrong with you. But we're not going to assume just because you're praying at the front something you've done bad. I'm trusting it's something you need to rely on Christ for. It could be something, it could be bad, but it also could be something just completely and totally out of your control that you just need to pray in a different place for, right? You need the symbolism for your own heart to bring, to, to bring that before Christ. Sometimes we'll have special prayer where we make people come up to the front <laughs> and pray for them. But again, it's so that we're showing that this is a family of families and we're walking this together. That's a beautiful, good thing. So I want to invite you, church, if you ever need a chance to pray, to do that. Um, in fact, at any moment, even if it's in the middle of me speaking, 
go for it. Because Christ doesn't close the doors to, to heaven for our prayers just because something else is happening. Amen? Okay. Um, okay, we're going to continue now. I'm gonna, we'll, we'll see how far we get. Who knows? We might get two verses in. We're going to be in Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 8. Before you get there, though, has anybody ever walked into a room and simply just had to ask the question, why? I ask this question a lot. Does anybody have kids? Okay, one time uh, I walked in and I found out that uh, they're not here today, so I don't get to laugh with them. But uh, Alex Estrada taught my son Sully how to twerk. And all I wanted to say is, why? Why would you do this? Uh, one time I, I, I come and I, I find out that Crockett had flushed one of Ren's toys down the toilet. Anybody ever had something flushed down the toilet? You just wonder, why? What joy is there in putting something valuable in a toilet? I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. And I just have to ask, why? Paul and Barnabas are walking through a situation in just a moment in this passage where they just simply have to ask, why are you doing this? Why? You've missed the whole point. Let's start reading. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. So this is a little bit redundant, but he's trying to drive home a point. The word sitting means to remain in some place, often with implication of settled into a situation. So this guy was sitting because he had to be moved there. He couldn't walk, couldn't move his feet at all. He had to be put in a place, and then he was there until somebody moved him again. So this guy could not move. So it gives four different descriptions of how this guy couldn't move himself at all. And from birth, he had never taken a single step. So this guy is here. And he listened to Paul speaking. Paul looking at him, looking intently at him, saying that he had faith to be made well. Okay, let's, let's focus on this for a second. So this guy, who had every reason not to listen, right? Um, he had every reason not to believe in God. He had every reason not to want to be around other people. He had every reason to, to be frustrated or angry or mad. He had every reason to complain. Would anybody fault this guy for complaining? I wouldn't. He had every reason to, but instead we find him sitting at the teaching of Paul, listening to the gospel. And he's not listening, saying, I hope those jerks that don't give me any money or that don't help me or that whatever, I hope those, the people who disregard me are listening to this because they need to be saved. He could be thinking that. And again, would anybody fault him for thinking that? I wouldn't. He's not listening for anyone else. He's listening for himself. Church, do, how many times do we stop and some change and growth in us? Who in here is too busy to sit and listen? Who in here thinks or acts like they're too busy to sit and listen? Who lets themselves get too busy? Anybody too distracted to sit and listen? Anybody already arrived? I've grown enough, thank you. I need no more gospel. The word has accomplished in me what it needed to. We wouldn't say it, but we act like it, don't we? When we come in and sit and think, I hope somebody else heard that. When this guy is an example, he had no option but to sit. So he did, and he listened to the word for himself. And while Paul's speaking, he looks intently at him and sees that he had faith to be made well. 
I think Paul's gaze was scary. I mean, Paul, if you read his letter, he's a scary dude, right? He writes very boldly. I think he would have been a little bit uh, scary. I think it it reminds me, you know, the the look you got when you uh, were misbehaving in public with your parents and they couldn't like beat you then, but it was coming later. And the look that you you know, and I'm I'm joking. Okay, I was was never beaten. But uh, the look you know when you've done something wrong and it's coming, right? I think that was, uh, I think Paul could give those looks, but he looks intently at this guy that's just crippled and, and laying here. He'd been placed there and he's sitting and listening and Paul looks at him and he sees his faith. That's faith is the word uh, pistis, which means to believe to the point of complete trust and reliance. All right, this was a miracle of the Holy Spirit because we don't get to look and see faith. Has anybody ever seen faith? Right, I haven't either. We don't get to see it. We don't see faith. So we don't get to judge people by looking and saying, wouldn't that be nice if we could just see if somebody actually had faith? If they, if they, you know, something, something changed about them and you're like, oh, I see it. You have the faith. That's good. Now I know who to share the gospel with and who to just uh, continue to disciple. We don't get to see faith. And so what we have to do as a church is we, we judge fruits, right? We see this in Luke chapter six, verse 43 through 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So normally what we would do is we'd look at somebody's actions, right? Their character, the things they say, the way they say them. And we'd say, man, that looks like Jesus, the Holy Spirit, fruits of the Spirit. Or we look at the way somebody's acting and their attitudes, their character, their uh, words, the way they say those words. We say, that looks nothing like Jesus. And that's how we look for faith. But here we see a miracle. Paul looks and sees this man's faith. And says the faith to be made well. That's the Greek word, sothenai. And it means it's from the root word, sozo, to save. This means for someone to experience divine salvation. So it's translated to be made well, but what this man's faith is, is a faith to be saved. Now his faith included, I mean, he, he believed in Christ that with the ability to do anything. So inside of Paul's teaching, this man sitting here listening, saying, I believe in that Christ. I believe in him to do the most miraculous things in the world. Sure, maybe he could heal me, but more than that, he could heal my sin. And so Paul got to see that this man had faith in Christ. He got to see it. So he said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. All right, stand upright. I love this. Let's see here. I need need an example. Let's do uh, Noah. If I were to tell you to jump up, what would you do? Show me. Do it. Let's see it. Yay. Good job. Thank you, Noah. Okay. So this guy, he says, jump up. Anybody ever tell you, jump to it. Come on, let's go. Right? Paul tells this guy, jump up. It's time to go. And this guy immediately sprang up. And that means to leap in the air. Noah gave the best example ever. I might've been lazy if somebody told me to jump up and I'd be like, okay, you just mean stand up quick. Okay, gotcha. This guy jumps in the air because suddenly his feet, he had never taken a step in his life. What was his first step? A jump in the air. Anybody think that's not what you would do? Suddenly your feet work, your legs work, and you're like, I'm in, right? This guy 
suddenly jumps in the air and he began walking. The thing that had never been done in his life, he began to walk. Now that outward miracle is amazing, but the inward one is better, right? What's better than the healing of his legs? The healing of his soul, his salvation in Christ, his faith to be made new in Jesus. That was the greatest miracle. But this outward one was what the people got to see. And let's see how they responded. And when the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, first bad note, right? Did Paul do this? No. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted their voices, saying in Laconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. All right, crowd. So this is a casual non-membership group of people, fairly large in size and assembled for whatever purpose. I want to say this. Crowds are dangerous. Crowds can be convinced to do things that individuals or smaller groups would never do. Have you ever seen a crowd worked up into a frenzy? Do you know that you can be convinced in a crowd to do things that you would never do on your own? Don't follow a crowd. Follow the word of God. So these crowds, they saw what Paul had done. They saw this amazing miracle and immediately gave credit to the wrong place. They interpreted God's miracle through their own incorrect worldview. And they said, look, here's a guy who did something great. We still struggle with this, don't we? Do we give credit to the wrong place when God does something awesome? Absolutely. Do we fail to worship God because of our own struggles? So it says they lifted up their voices. So they increased their volume to overcome existing noise or the speech of someone else. And they did it in Lacaonian. All right. So this is not a different language. This is a dialect. It's kind of like uh, Southern. Who's got the most Southern accent in this room? Anybody want to? Take that one, <laughs> Chris, maybe, uh, maybe not. So uh, anybody, can you interpret this for me? Jeet yet? Some of you are looking like, I have no idea. That's Southern. Anybody ever fixing to do something? I didn't know that was a Southern term for a long time. Had no idea. I thought, that was, I thought everybody said they were fixing to do things. And they were like, no, what are you fixing? Here's something that uh, is a little nuanced, right? I said it, I think, last week, but uh, bless your heart. Anybody want to define it? Depends on the term. Depends on the tone, right? It might really mean bless your heart. Or it might mean you're, you're stupid, right? It's a very uh, complex word there. So they're speaking in their own dialect, the way they talked, their kind of uh, hometown way of talking. And it's probable that Paul and Barnabas didn't even understand them, right? It might have been a jeet yet term. And they're like, what? So they're, they're teaching the gospel. The crowds are getting loud. They're yelling and screaming and saying stuff in their own way of talking. And, and Paul and Barnabas are like, I, I, I'm assuming here saying, what's happening? Crowds can make a lot of noise. But this noise does not mean they are right. Anybody ever seen, seen an incorrect crowd? Me too. And they said, the gods are here. This is any one of many different supernatural beings regarded as having authority or control in the universe. They believed in the Greek gods, right? These Greek gods were fickle, ruthless, and petty. But they said, the gods have come down to us. 
There's actually a, a, a myth that, that specifically uh, Zeus and Hermes had already come at one point in the, in the likeness of men and they, they weren't treated well, so they killed an entire city. So the fact that they could confuse men with these gods does describe the gods very well, doesn't it? The fact that they could just see a couple of guys and be like, they might be gods, I don't know. That's the kind of gods they served. They came in the likeness of men. So these gods never actually came to earth, right? There's never actually a Zeus or a Hermes. Any stories about this were just sin and pleasure seeking. There's only one God who has ever come to earth, and that's Jesus Christ. And he didn't come to show everybody just uh, to come and blast people or be angry or come and, for all the reasons we would come to earth, right? He came in humility, taking flesh on himself so that he could serve so that he could take our punishment for us, so he could die for us, so that he could conquer death for us. That's the only God who's come to earth. It's amazing how they missed it. So they said, uh, the gods have come. Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So you have Zeus, the, the, the chief God of the Greek pantheon and Hermes was uh, his son, but also the messenger God. So they thought, hey, this is Zeus and Hermes. They're here again. Let's do this correctly. Because, and they thought Paul was Hermes because he was the one who was the main communicator between Paul and Barnabas. He was the one that God had gifted the most to be the one teaching the most. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought an oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. So it just so happens the priests are right there, right? Now, we don't have a whole lot of practitioners of uh, Greek mythology today. That doesn't, that's not a lot of people truly believing in Greek gods at this time. But I think we do still have idolatry, right? We still have other gods we pray to or think to or worship, even if we don't want to call them a god. Who are our priests that bring us the information and guide us that way? Social media, politicians, news anchors, right? They're the priests that bring us the good news. They brought oxen and garlands. What do we offer to our idols? We offer our time, our money, and our absolute allegiance. These things are about to sacrifice. What do we sacrifice to our idols? We sacrifice our pursuit of the one true God. We sacrifice our families. We sacrifice our church family to pursue all other things. Do we still struggle with idolatry today? Yeah. We might not call them gods, but that doesn't make them any less in our hearts, does it? But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard, heard of it, so they finally hear and they understand what's happening, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? So they tore their, their garments. This was always a sign of Sadness and lament. There's lots of passages. I'm just going to read one. Ezra 9.3. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. The reason Ezra did this is because the people had decided that their ways were better than God's. God had said, do this. And they said, no, I'd rather do this instead. So Ezra the prophet sat and tore his clothes, tore out his hair, pulled out his beard. Because he was so appalled by people's disregard of God. You have Paul and Barnabas, they see that these people want to worship them and their reaction is to tear their clothes because they're so appalled by the disregard of God. 
How different from the story we saw, saw of Herod the Tetrarch in Acts 12. We can see it in verse 21. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat on his throne and delivered an oration to them. You see, Herod wanted to prove his position by how nice he looked. Paul and Barnabas showed their humility by tearing their clothes. They humbled themselves before the people saying, there's nothing, nothing special about us. We're not worth your worship because we're not God. There's one God. So they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd. They saw these people committing idolatry and they rushed to correct it. They rushed to stop people from worshiping them. They said, why are you doing these things? What is wrong with you? This is wrong. You don't worship anything that's not God. If you do, you're practicing idolatry. I said, we are also men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. They, say, they stopped them. They're, these people are worshiping them. Think about it. It could have felt good, couldn't it? Can you imagine people thinking that you're so great that you might even be deity? They're saying, hey, we want to we worship you in whatever way you want. Like we want to sacrifice an animal. You can eat it, whatever. We want to make much of you, Paul and Barnabas. You guys are great. They don't accept it. They tear their clothes and they rush out and they say, stop. We're just men. Again, how different from Herod. And we can read the end of his story in verses 22 and 23 of Acts 12. And the people were shouting. He gave this big speech and the, the people start saying, the voice of a God and not of a man. And Herod does not rush to correct it. He loves the praise of the people. He loves being called a God. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. He was eaten by word, worms and breathed his last. God will not share his glory. And we must speak out against the worship of men because men are not worth our worship. Amen? So they said we're of like nature as you. This means having the same kinds of feelings and, and desires. They made sure that this whole crowd knew there is no difference between you and me. No pastor, no leader, no teacher is of a different nature than any other person on earth. We are all filthy, broken, lost sinners who are only different by the great grace of Jesus Christ. There is no difference between any people, none. So if we walk around thinking I'm better, be careful. Because what we see here is the example of Paul and Barnabas saying, no, we're the same. Now, would we have put them in the same category as the crowd chanting out to, to, to sacrifice an idol to false gods? No, we would have been like, oh, Paul and Barnabas are way better. They're saying, no, no, no. There's nothing better about me. There's only Christ in me. And that same Christ wants you. He said, they have the good news. We have got to go with the gospel on our lips, church. Who are you sharing the good news with? And if that answer is no one, will you pray for Christ to give you the chance to share his good news with someone else? He says that he wants to come to share the good news with them, that they should turn from these vain things 
Turn means to change one's belief with the focus upon that, which, uh, that to which one turns. They had faith in other gods. They had faith in their own ability to serve their, those gods. And that faith could not save them. They had to turn their faith towards Jesus Christ. He called them vain things. That means that which is useless on the basis of being futile and lacking in content. All right, so these were their gods he's talking about. He says, hey, turn from those worthless, futile, vain things. So the very things they valued most, Paul says they're worthless. He says, turn from the things that you are worshiping towards something that's worth your worship to a living God. The reason is because their gods were dead. And faith in anything else will only produce more death. So this is the God who created the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and all that's in them. So what he's saying is they had gods, right? Lots of them. That, that some of their gods lived in the heavens and had some power there. And he's like, no, no, no. This God made the heavens. It's his. They had some gods that were on the earth and they had some power there. He's like, no, no, no. God, this God made the earth. It's his. Uh, they had gods of the sea, right? He said, no, no, no. God, one God made the sea. It's his. And not just those things, but all that's in them. He created everything. There's a stark difference between their gods and God. He's saying your gods are weak and worthless. Look at the God who made everything. He says in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. They were allowed to live life the, life the way that they wanted and their desires led them to death. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness, without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. God did reveal himself to these nations that were allowed to walk their own way, just as he reveals himself to us. He says, first of all, through rains from heaven. So again, the heavens that God created, their gods didn't provide rains like they thought they did. It was God who did. Their work did not provide it. God did. Fruitful seasons from the earth that God created. No other gods, no work from man, God. How many times do we receive goodness and then point to something else or point to ourselves? Look what I did for me. Look what I got us. All good things come from God. It says he's satisfying your hearts. This means to be satisfied with food on the basis of having eaten enough to be filled. So he's satisfying them. He, he created, what Paul's telling his people, he created you too. You're his. So your heart is only satisfied in him. He satisfied your hearts, first of all, with food. Does food satisfy? Amen. Sometimes too much, yeah? But it's only temporary. And he satisfied their hearts with gladness. That means a state of joyful happiness. Joy comes from Jesus, not from any other pursuit. Any true joy that you experience, that you think is coming from any other thing, is really coming from God and something good that he provided you. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. Paul called their gods worthless and pointed them to the one true God. This was a bold, scary thing to do. 
Can you imagine walking to a place that is filled with people who believe very differently than you and saying, your gods are worthless and fake. Let me point you to the one true God. That's a bold thing to do. But even then, they scarcely restrain these people from offering sacrifices. Paul and Barnabas had to physically stop them from committing this idolatry. But they did so because they feared God more than they feared man. They were trying to offer sacrifices to them. Church, we talk about worship a lot here. But it's because Jesus is worthy of our worship. Amen? Nothing else is worth your worship. Nothing. But we give it far too freely to far lesser things. Just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I have just a couple of questions. First of all, I want, you, I want to ask you to do something this morning. Identify your idols. And you might say, I don't have any. And I just ask a couple questions then. Do you have anything in your life that you pursue more than God? Be cautious because that very well could be an idol. Do you have anything that you are more committed to than what God has called you to? Be very cautious because that very well could be an idol in your life. Will you repent of idolatry where you've made more of something created than of the one who created it? Second of all, are you sharing the gospel church? We live in a community that's dying without knowing him and they need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, but they won't hear it if you won't share it. Will you take a moment today and just pray for a chance to share your faith once? Christ, I pray you call us to, to you. Lord, give us boldness like Paul to share the gospel with people who need to hear it, fearing you more than man and wanting to see what you can do, knowing that the only difference in us is not because we're good or better or smarter than anyone else, but because you, Jesus Christ, save broken people like us. And we have that good news to share with the world. Please, Christ, call us to share it. Lord, forgive us for where we are looking at lesser things and making too much of it. And help us, Christ, to save our worship only for you. In your name I pray. Amen. Please stand and respond however God leads you.